the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken, and this week I have been filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron Arbaugh, who has been out of the office this week. That's why I'm here filling in. And today will be the last day that I get to fill in, because he'll be back here on the radio uh, Monday, 4 o'clock, as usual. So in the meantime... Our show will continue. That means we're here to take your questions, questions about the Bible, questions about how to put the Word of God into practice in your life, uh, because the ultimate goal is for us to help you fall deeper in love with your Bible, to help you fall deeper in love with Jesus. And so with that, I'll give you the phone numbers to dial in, 210-340-9585-210-340-9585. 340-9585, the toll-free number, 877-630-5757, 877-630-5757. We've got an email address if you want to submit questions that way. And that email address is questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our church app to submit questions uh, you can also use the KSLR mobile app to dial in to the radio shows. A call now button up at the top. You, you hit that, and then it'll take you right to the uh, studio, and you can ask your question on the air. Okay, so it's the Friday edition of the show, and that means here at Calvary Chapel, it is our New Testament study, Bible study night. And so since Pastor Ron is out, we have Pastor Chris, who will be teaching tonight. If this is something that the Wednesday night, I'm sorry, the Friday night service is something you normally come to, it's on as usual, 7 o'clock here. Tonight, Pastor Chris, I believe, is teaching out of Second Peter. That's going to be fun. That's going to be fun. Uh, quick reminder, tomorrow also we have corporate prayer for anyone that's interested in joining us here at the church, 930 and the sanctuary. Oh, yes, and Sunday... Since Pastor Ron is back in town, just found out he just landed. So he'll be back, as usual, on Sunday, teaching out of 1 Corinthians. And so if the radio listening audience is part of the church body here, it's a reminder, he's back. And Sunday, back to our normal 1 Corinthians study. Okay, I gave you the phone numbers. And we'll go ahead, while we're waiting for your phone calls, We'll address the questions that have already been submitted. Actually, the first one here is a continuation from yesterday. This one came in either at the end of the show or afterwards, and, but it was looks like it was dealing with uh, the theme of yesterday's Date Day edition. So I'm going to start with this one. It's from Ashley, and it says, As a Christian wife, sometimes I see my Christian husband as a hypocrite. How can I get these thoughts out of my head? Ashley, this is, this is a heartbreaking question, but it's an important one. So let me address it in two ways, in, in, in two phases. The first one 
is I'm going to address the husband first. To the husband, it, it breaks my heart that your wife is even asking these types of questions. And so if you live, husband, as an unbeliever, or if your life looks like the life of an unbeliever, then what I would say to you is you need to get saved. That's where we start. Because the bottom line is this Christians don't act like that. They don't act, Christians shouldn't act like unbelievers. They shouldn't live like unbelievers. Now, what your wife says here in this question, though, is that she sees you as a hypocrite. So let me talk about how you are, your role as a husband first, and then I'll deal with uh, the wife. Husband, if you, if the words that come out of your mouth contradict the way you live at home, then that's shameful. And if you are a Christian, then you need to repent. You need to repent and you need to do that. Um, Get your heart right with the Lord and then sit down with your wife and, and, and apologize to her. And, and what I do when I tell men that have dealt with this before with a pattern of ungodliness at home is that when you get your heart right and you have this discussion with your wife, if there are children in the home, then you you need to prayerfully consider having a family meeting, depending on how bad things have been. But if this is something that's been going on for a long time and you've misrepresented the Lord, I promise you, whenever you say, okay, things are going to be different now, or you come home from a men's retreat and, and things start to change for a little bit, Everybody in the home is thinking, well, we've seen this before. We'll see how long this lasts. And so you need to sit down with them and and not just tell them, but start off by saying, I've been misrepresenting the Lord. I haven't been a good husband. I haven't been a good father. Um, but my heart is right with the Lord now. And Now I'm going to demonstrate it with consistency. And you need to be with Jesus. You represent Jesus at home. And and if everyone at home sees a pattern of anger, rage, just being mean and cruel, these are the things that have caused a lot of pain in their hearts. And so words don't just fix that overnight. You need to sit down with them, apologize, and then demonstrate with consistency the fruits of repentance, the fruit of the Spirit through your life. And then the Lord will use that to minister to their hearts. Now, to Ashley here, the one that submitted the question, as a wife, when you say, sometimes I see my Christian husband as a hypocrite, you don't indicate whether or not he's actually behaving hypocritically. Uh, I assume that he was. But to you, what I would say is this. you Remember, you are uh, supporting your husband, out of Ephesians chapter 5. And your role as a wife isn't to give him an excuse for his ungodly behavior, but your, your role as a a godly wife is to pray for him, to support him, to be an encouragement to him. And and in those times where he isn't being the leader that he should be, then pray for him. You should always be praying for him. And when it becomes hypocritical, you need to have a discussion with him. Not a fight, not a disagreement, but a discussion and and you do this by opening up the Word of God. Now you say you, you're a Christian wife and it's a Christian husband, so you both have the Holy Spirit living in you. If you're both born-again Christians, you have the Spirit of God living in you. And when one of you are not behaving like Jesus wants you to behave, then it is incumbent upon one of you to act like Jesus. My wife may mention this yesterday. And if your husband isn't fulfilling that leadership role at home, well, then you have to do it, Ashley. 
And the, the way that you do that is by opening up the Word of God together, being in prayer together. And you have to make sure that uh, you remember with gratitude what Jesus has done for you. I, May and I have counseled, sat with some women who deal with this exact same thing. And actually, I don't know who you are, but unfortunately, this is sort of a common theme. And what we tell the women who are following the Lord is this, is that you keep your eyes on Jesus. If your husband husband is not acting like a godly man, and you fix your eyes on Jesus and let him be your husband. As you serve your husband and you... Submit to his leadership. Again, I'm not assuming that he isn't doing anything harmful to you. But just not being a nice guy. Then you serve him and love him because you love Jesus. And as you do that, you're obedient to the Holy Spirit. You give the Holy Spirit room to deal with those things in your husband's heart. Does it excuse his hypocritical behavior? No. But Jesus will deal with that in his heart. The second part of your question here is, how can I get these thoughts out of my head? It's, it's 1 Corinthians 6. I think I mentioned this earlier this week. Remember, this is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's a difference, Ashley, between what you are now and what you used to be. And when you think about how far the Lord has taken you, it generates gratitude. That gratitude is demonstrated by exercising that same grace and patience that Jesus has shown you to your husband. Colossians chapter 3, remember when Paul the Apostle writes to the church there in Colossae, it's the same thing. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature and sexual morality and lust and greed, those things, you used to walk in these ways. But since that's no longer who you are, in the same chapter, Paul writes, in the same measure that God has forgiven you, you forgive others. Again, it's not an excuse for your husband to behave like a hypocrite, but you give the Holy Spirit room to deal with his heart when you walk so close to Jesus, even closer than you are to your husband. I promise you, the Holy Spirit will deal with his heart. Ashley, I hope that helps. Thank you for your question. Let's go to our phone lines. We have Lucy calling from Universal City. Lucy, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Lucy. Thank you. Good. Okay, so this last question touched all kinds of buttons in my heart. But oh. um, I'm gonna make uh, I'm gonna make a statement without too many details, and then I'm gonna mention a scripture that God has given me and. Uh, if you can please let me know if I'm interpreting this scripture correctly. Okay, okay Lucy. So the first comment that I'm going to make is um, the lady that wrote in that last question. We yes. all go through pain and we all go through God helping us deal with that pain uh, as we plow through it, trusting him. At the end of it, fast forward to where we are now. I would never, never uh, trade places with where I am now because I see how God is using me and my husband to minister to people in a very real way that yes. has to do directly with the pain that we went through. So I praise God for that, that he helps us um, through all that pain. 
pain and that, yes, we had to give totally ourselves over to him. So the scripture that I wanted to say that um, God put on my heart when I was thinking about all these things this past week, we, we've had a rough, a rough week with uh, reactions from our family and all kinds of things mm-hmm. going on. But, um, but we, uh, we continue believing that God has us where he needs us. And not needs us, but gets pleasure from us giving him the honor and glory. Okay, right. so here's the scripture. Um, in the Bible where it says, but for the joy placed before him, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus knew what joy was coming up. And as humans, we don't have that pre-knowledge because he is God. We are not. All we can do is take one step at a time and and trust God with each step, but we can see the joy after the morning. The joy comes in the morning. And when we give totally all the pain and every every hard uh, rock that we balance on as we navigate God's path for us, that when we see the joy that comes in the morning, which is how God is using us now, we can look back and say, I'm so glad that we were able to go through that and have this result at the end. And so my question about the scripture is, Am I interpreting that right? Is that is there any other scripture that you might uh, add to it? Because I'm I was feeling like that's what God was whispering to me and saying, "Well done." Absolutely, absolutely, you're absolutely right. And I'm going to add a, a little bit to that, Lucy, because what you're saying is absolutely true. And the, the pain and suffering that we endure, when, when we do it for the Lord, God always uses these things, these difficult things in our lives for his glory. And I know you, I know your husband really well, I know your story, and it's a perfect example of what God does in the lives of people who, even in their pain, commit themselves and their hearts to, to serving him. Because, you know, each one of us have a story, and that story is what God uses to reach other hearts when people are going through something very similar. And so the passage you, you referenced is in Hebrews chapter 12, and, and this is the passage you know where, where, where I believe Paul the Apostle writes that we, who are Christians, we fix our eyes on Jesus he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And and then that verse says, For the joy set before him, he endured the suffering on the cross, scorning its shame. And you and I are that joy. I always envisioned Jesus on the cross while he was suffering. My name flashed before his mind and he thought of me. And that's how I personalize that. Because while I was so far off, Romans chapter 5, and I wanted nothing to do with him, he thought of me. And and I was the joy that he endured on the cross. And And when you have that perspective, yes, it's just like Psalm 30. When joy comes in the morning, there is pain and suffering. There is darkness. But the morning is coming. And in the morning is where, you know, that Psalm, Psalm 30 is about the dedication of the temple, but it's a celebration of God's newness, his goodness with a new day. And when things are hard and we're going through a lot of pain, we look back at what Jesus did for us. So that's, you're absolutely right. That's how we personalize what Jesus did, Hebrews chapter 12, and, and think about the suffering that he endured and in the middle of the suffering, 
he thought of us. And because he thought of us, he, he, he just, because of his love for us, he would not quit. And then the practical application of that is, well, if he did that for me, when I didn't deserve it, how much more does he want to use me to do that exact same thing to love somebody else, whether they deserve it or not? So, Lucy, you're absolutely right. I would agree with you 100%. I love that. I love you and your husband. I love your story. And, and I love the fact that Jesus takes each and every one of our stories and in the joy that comes in the morning, he wants to use us the same exact, in that same way. So thank you for your call, Lucy. Uh, what a blessing. That really is. Oh, you're welcome, Lucy. God bless you. Okay, let's go back to our questions that were submitted. If you want to call into the show, 210-340-9585. That's the number. The second question in our email inbox is from James. This is a good one. I'm sure God has called me to be a pastor, but sometimes I think that I may want it too much. Does that make sense? I don't want to force it if it isn't God's will. Well, James, actually James, the apostle, writes about this. And in the third chapter, first verse, he says, Not many of us should become teachers, because you know that you, we who teach, will be judged more strictly. And this is a warning for those who want to, to have that place of authority, that place occupy that place of leadership within the church, who crave that attention, that's the wrong motive. And those of us who are pastors are going to be held to a higher standard. Why? Because we represent Jesus to the people. So James, if you are sure that God has called you to be a pastor, there's two things that you'll know. First, you will love God's Word. You'll love God's Word. You'll love God's Word more than anything. It'll be on your mind all the time. You'll meditate on it. It'll dictate your thought process. It'll dictate your decision-making. It'll The Word of God will dictate how you treat people. And so you've got to love God's word. If you know that God has called you to be a pastor, you'll love God's word. The second thing is you'll love God's people. You you can't be called to be a pastor and not be and not love God's people. Yeah, I understand people have different personalities and some people may even say or some pastors may naturally not be people uh, friendly to people or, or friendly kind of people, friendly personalities. But a pastor, a one who has a pastor's heart, loves God's people. And so that that means that means that the word of God dictates our thinking and the outpouring of love is always upon God's people because people are always the point. And so if you want to force it, examine your motive. What's the whole point? Do you love God's people? Do you love the Word of God? The last thing I'll say is this. You need to have thick skin and a tender heart. That's what you need. If you're going to serve God, and this applies to whatever you do, if you're going to do it for the Lord, it's always going to involve people. You need thick skin. That means you don't get offended so easily. And you need a tender heart. That means your all your heart is always soft and tender and malleable, used by the Lord. Because if you just have thick skin, but you don't have a tender heart, then it just means you're not affected by anything and you don't care. But if you have a, a hard heart and, 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 and really thin skin, well, then you'll be the exact opposite. And so that... That's going to mean that you you can't be used by God. You will be easily offended and you'll look at people in a way that Jesus would never look at them. 
So, James, I'll be praying for you. If you know for sure that God has called you to be a pastor, be a student of his word. Study it. Read it over and over and let the Lord speak to your heart how to love God's people. And, and, and I will add one more thing, too. Pastors need to teach God's word. If you're called to be a pastor, not only should you study the Bible, but you should be teaching it, too. Teach it to your wife. Teach it to your children. Serve in children's ministry. Teach, and find out because pastors need to be able to teach. They should have the gift of teaching. You can't just be like a pastor that, you know, serves and fixes the building. Or you, you, Pastors are called to teach God's word and love God's people. James, I hope that makes sense. If you want it, too bad, too much, then you need to examine your motive. As you continue to study God's word, he'll reveal his heart for you. Well, you can hear the music. You can hear the music. Ray, you're on the line. Please wait till the the break. I'll get to you right away. This is the Word to Stand On for Life. This is the first half. We'll see you in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Friday edition of the Word to Stand On for Life. My name is Pastor Ken. I'm filling in for my pastor, Pastor Ron, who will be back on this show Monday at 4 o'clock. I want to go right to the phone lines. Ray, thank you for waiting. You are on the air. Hi, Pastor Ken. Hi, Ray. While I was waiting, we just started to get dumped on (laughs) a little bit of thunder, not too much, but a lot of rain coming at this point. I saw those dark clouds, yes. Yeah, but uh, I don't know what is going on uh, other than... The whole the whole place is going south on us, you know. Um, I, I I noticed, and I'm not exactly sure who said it or what it was, but uh, it was somebody making a point of, well, if they're going to teach the Holocaust, they've got to teach the other side. I don't have a clue as to what they're talking about the other side of that story, you know. But the other thing was uh, these, these <clears throat> I think it's been coming up that uh, some, some uh, schools or what are, and I'm, you know, I may be completely wrong, but I think there are some that are saying uh, if they're transgender boys, doesn't matter they're not going to shower when the girls shower and stuff but uh, they're going to oh, wow. uh, be ascribed to their 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 uh, birth certificate type of you know gender and i think that's good but uh, i just, i'm just i have i i was flabbergasted with this uh, holocaust uh, malarkey i guess i would say and I don't know if well, you have anything to say about that or not, but I think I'll hang up and listen on the radio. Okay, Ray, uh, thank you for your call. I I don't know the exact details of what you're talking about, but I, I think it has to do with uh, something a, a teacher might have said recently that made the news. And, you know, I, one of these, so two things here. People want to people who are against God, specifically who are against the Jews, want to rewrite history, and they want to say things about the Holocaust that that simply aren't true. Uh, and, and you know, what we do is we turn people's attention to Jesus, and we we just can't be surprised when the world around us tries to attack the message of the Bible. 
And, and they'll think of creative ways. We talked about this at our Monday night Bible study in, in the book of Romans. Though it doesn't deal specifically with this, what it what what Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter one is that people who are against the gospel, they are they are creative in thinking, they think of different ways to sin. And that's what they do when it comes to God's word. What we need to do, Ray, is is follow Paul's example. Remember what he wrote to the Corinthians when he said, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything. And I, I would know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there are so many things that that can distract us from that message. And I understand the frustration. I hear it in your voice, Ray. And, you know, it, it's heartbreaking for us to watch, even at my age, the, the world that we grew up in is just completely different now. You know, what's good is evil, what's evil is good, but these things can't surprise us. And they can't take our attention off of what's important. We have to expect sinners to sin. And it doesn't mean we just stand back and do nothing. What it means, Ray, is, is that, that you know, whenever they think of new ways to sin, instead of being shocked and surprised, we give them Jesus. We tell them what the Word of God says. And I think what that does for us, who are Christians, is instead of focusing on the details or the minutiae of what's going on, we should have a greater sense of urgency because people are are more lost than ever. So we can't get caught up in these things. I had mentioned earlier in the week, there was a, a question about military. It might have been Wednesday. But when Paul would write to Timothy about a soldier doesn't get caught up in civilian affairs. And we are soldiers for Christ. Our attention, I mean, we're slaves to righteousness, so our attention is, is, is devoted to pleasing our commanding officer. And that's Jesus. And the enemy uses these things to take our attention away. So it's heartbreaking. It is. It makes me sad. And, but you know what, Ray? We turn our attention back to the Lord. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And we're praying for people, for these people, instead of being offended by them, we're praying for these people to get saved. So I'm sorry I can't elaborate on the story of that uh, what the teacher said, but it I did read about, I heard about it, that it it's about a teacher that's trying to rewrite of what the Holocaust is about and that there may be other perspectives and something about that. And so that, I'm sorry I can't provide more information on the story, but I think the solution though, Ray, is pretty straightforward. We turn our attention back to Jesus. By the way, uh, since I have a minute here, I'm just getting started with the second half of the radio show. If you're just tuning in, Pastor Ron is back in town, and he'll be back here on the radio show 4 o'clock on Monday afternoon. He is going to be teaching back in 1 Corinthians here on Sunday. Um, But I also wanted to say that today, my producer reminded me that it is Boss's Day. So happy Boss Day (laughs) to you, you, Pastor Ron. You're a great boss. Uh, All right. Back to our questions. Chris, the, question, the next question is from Chris. What are your thoughts on God's sovereignty? I hear a lot of Christians say, quote, even though everything is going on in this world seems really bad, God is still on the throne and God is sovereign. What does that even mean? God's sovereignty is one of those things that people make so complicated, but it really isn't. Now, technically... The sovereignty of God, it just means that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and that he's not limited by space, he's not limited by time. 
But the important thing for us to understand about God's sovereignty is this. His sovereignty is not causative, which, in other words, means he's not going to force his will on people. Instead, he gives us the free will to choose. Now, there are some of a different theological persuasion that would disagree with that. But we think that the Bible is very clear. The sovereignty of God is demonstrated when, for example, me, a person who was so far off from the Lord, running as far away as I can, as fast as I could, wanting nothing to do with him. God's sovereignty is big enough, powerful enough to to take that hard heart and make it soft. And that's what he did for me, even when I didn't want him. Romans chapter 5, even while I was his enemy, God saved me. And that's the best way I could describe God's sovereignty. So when somebody says, you know, even though everything is going wrong, going on in the world, it seems really bad, God is still on the throne. You know, there's a second thing about this that I want to say. All the evil that happens in this world is not God's fault. And so when people say that and they blame God, So when they blame God, they, what they're doing is ascribing sin and evil to God. But that's not his fault. Again, God gives us the free will to choose, to choose to disobey him or the, to choose to obey him. And if a person is really determined to disobey God, to cause harm, to sin, God's not going to force them to fall in love with him. And, you know, when we look at the world around us and all of the evil that's taking place, it, it doesn't mean that God is not present. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love people because, you know, we, we have this, mis- some of us have this misunderstanding that, well, if, if God really is here, he's not going to let anything bad happen. But that's simply not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible does teach us is this. Those of us who are his, when we endure difficulty, he will be right there with us. And so we have to get this notion out of our minds because you said in your question, Chris, that when you hear Christians say that even though everything going on in the world seems really bad, God is still on the throne. Of course he is. Of course he is. But it doesn't mean that he is uh, making bad things happen. He might be allowing some bad things to happen because, again, he gives us a free will to choose. But he's not the author of evil. So he's not the cause of these bad things that are happening. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Thank you for your question, Chris. Our next question in our email inbox is from Anonymous. This question Oh, this is an important one. If a church member is committed to that church, it is, I'm sorry, is it wrong for that member to have outside ministries? Should churches have memberships? I am curious to know why churches have membership. I was not sure if that is biblical. Okay, so there's a few parts to this question. I'll just take it in order. If, If there is a... Christian who is part of a home church, you're committed to that church, you can do whatever you want outside. Your commitment should be to your home church. You should be serving in your home church. You know, there are so many parachurch things going on, you know, programs and, and, and ministries that can consume so much of your time that you take away your attention from where God has placed you. And that's in the home church where you are to use the gifts that God has given you 
to exercise, exercise them for the edification of the body. And, and that's what you're supposed to do in your home church. It doesn't mean that you are confined to your church. You're free to do whatever you want and serve the Lord in whatever way you feel led. But if you're committed to a church, you should serve there and devote your time and, and exercise your gifts there. Uh, now, membership. Should churches have membership? You know, this is one of those things where it is up to the, the pastor of the church. There are some churches, obviously, that do have memberships. Here at Calvary Chapel, I can just speak for us, we don't. And the reason why we don't is because we don't see uh, a biblical precedent for it. And for us, we want to model our church as much as possible as it was in Acts. And, you know, in Acts, in the book of Acts, you know, I don't see Paul the Apostle telling the pastors or when he was starting a church, handing out cards and telling them to fill out the information. Um, now, again, it was a different time, but that wasn't something that he focused on. He would just teach the Bible to whoever would come, and that's what we do. Now, that doesn't mean that having membership at a church is wrong. Again, it's something that's up to the, the, the leadership uh, of the church, up to the pastor of the church, but there is no biblical mandate for it. You know, some churches, and this isn't the case for everyone that has membership, but some churches use membership cards or, or, or membership profiles to to help you know establish some type of financial budget we, we definitely don't do that here and and to if a church is to do that I, I don't think that's right you know having a budget isn't wrong but you, you don't want to create a membership when and and make people feel like they are committed to and obligated to give a certain amount. I mean, you know, this is one of the things that cults will do. They'll want to know so much more of your information, even what, how much income you have so that they can say, this is how much is required for you to give. And that's just not biblical. So should churches have membership? It's up to them if they want to or not. Why they have membership? I don't know. You say that you're curious to know why churches have membership. I, I don't know. I know some churches that do, but that's okay. That's between them and the Lord. The first part of your question, I think, is really the most important one, and that's just use the gifts that God has given you in the church home that God has placed you in. And that's how the body is edified. Okay, the next question is from Anonymous. Another anonymous question. This is a really simple one. Does your church have a pro-life ministry? The answer is no. We do not. We are definitely pro-life, but we don't have ministries that are pro-life or ministries that are uh, specific to any political or social issues. Uh, we are definitely for life, and we are definitely against abortion, but we're not going to create a ministry that is devoted to just that. We believe here at Calvary Chapel, at least for our church, teaching the Word of God will address each and every one of these social issues, and there's no need to, to focus on them. Um, and so, yes, the answer to your question, Anonymous, no, we don't, and we're not going to have one. Okay, let's Okay. Let's see. I think I have another email here with a question. Oh, I do. Anonymous, anonymous, excuse me. Anonymous says, "What is your biblical perspective on the COVID-19 shot and the mandates on forcing people to take or get fired?" I was wondering when I was going to get a question about this. It is, I'm sure this has been on the minds of many people. This has been dominating 
not dominating, but it's been a common theme in some of Pastor Ron's questions. And I'll just say the same thing that he has been saying. You know, the biblical perspective on the vaccine is this. Get it if the Lord says to get it. Don't get it if the Lord says don't get it. And what somebody else does is none of your business. Now, the mandate is different. The mandate now goes into rights and whether it's ethical. It's a personal decision. It's a personal decision. And and if you are a, a Christian who spends a lot of time talking to people, evangelizing why they should or why they shouldn't get the vaccine, then you really need to examine your heart. I mean, it's it, the vaccine and, and masks and this, it's, it's, I understand it is dominating our culture and our society. It's a hot button topic, but we want the words that come out of our mouth to, to be seasoned with grace. We want the words that come out of our mouth to be used to edify and build up one another, not to find out where they lie on the divide between, you know, getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine. Uh, To me, that's just a waste of time. It appeals to our flesh. And, and, you know, you'll start looking at people differently. I said earlier, you know, you need to have thick skin and a tender heart. Well, guess what? If you are so focused on whether or not somebody has the vaccine and whether you can be a friend of them or not or whether they're wearing a mask or not, uh, you're not thinking about them the way Jesus does. I personally... You know, don't think the mandate is necessary. I think there are issues with the mandate, but that that's a political issue, and it's a personal opinion. But I tell people, you know, when it comes to this vaccine, it's really none of your business, and it shouldn't affect the way you look at people. Personally, get it if the Lord says to get it. Don't get it if the Lord says don't get it. Now, uh, anonymous in your question, you don't mention anything about the getting the form or having the the the, the exemptions uh, signed, and that sort of goes along with this. There is no biblical perspective on having a religious exemption. There just there just isn't. You know, again, it's a personal decision, so. Uh, don't use the word of God to support your opinion or your, your whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to do. Okay, Anonymous, let's go back to our phone lines. We have Cindy calling from San Antonio. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I mean, oh, oh my gosh, Pastor Ken. My brain just <laughs> isn't working good today. That's okay, Cindy. That's a compliment. <laughs> Oh, I've really enjoyed listening to you all week, and, and I really enjoyed listening to how happy you and um, and May are together in oh, the Lord. Oh, thank you, Cindy. It's blessing to, to hear that. I'm calling because it's a comment on the mandate for the vaccine. I'm wondering, now, a long time ago, I remember as a kid, I had to get a bunch of to go to school. And if you didn't get those vaccines, then like polio, I I have no idea how polio happens or if it was contagious or why you had to have a polio shot. But I just remember having to get all these shots as a kid that they wouldn't so that you wouldn't spread it to other kids. But fast forward to now to the mandate on the uh, shot. And I think what's really going on, it's an underlying it's like this underlying river thing going on that after the rapture, you see, if, if, they can, if the government can get away with telling us that you have to have this shot, that if you, you, you know, you cannot work, if you don't get this shot, you'll be fired, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's a precursor to what's going to happen when Antichrist comes. And I think that what's going on is that it's just trying to pave the road so the government can you know, have that avenue into saying, well, you know, this is law now. If we say you have to get this shot, you have to get this shot, and maybe there's a microchip in the shot or whatever when the Antichrist comes and you can't buy or sell food. And I kind of wonder if that could possibly be the undertone of what's kind of starting to happen here. But we'll be in heaven, so we won't have to worry about any of it. But 
That was just You're right, I was Cindy. Thinking. So, so let me address that. You know, thank you for your call, Cindy. And this is very important. I'm glad that you brought this up. The vaccine, for anyone that's even thinking about this, the vaccine has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. It has nothing to do with what, what Cindy had mentioned. We will, we will not even be here for those of us who are born-again Christians. When these things happen, uh, we'll be gone. We'll be already raptured. Now, Specific to your comments here, are they precursors or preludes into what the government is going to? We don't know. And, you know, all I know is that right now, that's not the time that we're talking about. But, um, you know, the, the, the mandate you mentioned, a polio vaccine, the, the, the truth is there are some vaccines that are required. But there's there's no mandate that every single person has to get these these vaccinations they will limit you in your availability you may not be able to go to public school you may not be able to work but again this is a personal decision and as christians we have to be willing to suffer the consequences of our choices following jesus doesn't mean everything is going to be easy and and that's one thing we have to get into our 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 brains is that there is going to be a sacrifice when it comes to taking a stand for what God has put in our hearts to do. This taking a stand for righteousness means we, we will have enemies. People won't like us. We may not be able to work. And that has to be okay. That has to be okay. I want to thank you for letting me be a part of your week. Uh, you can hear the music. That means we are done with the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. Remember tonight, five, uh, 7 o'clock. Pastor Chris will be teaching at a second Peter. In the meantime, Pastor Ron will be back four o'clock on Monday. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at four, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.